You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. It's good to see you this morning, church. I love preaching to my church family. I hate preaching in an empty room. (laughs) Hate it. So last week was a horrible experience for me. Gave me flashbacks to when we had to shut down, you know, during the two-week break (laughs) that was given to us about two years ago. Two weeks to flatten the curve, something like that. Here we are. But it gave me flashbacks to that time period, and I absolutely hate it, so it's good to see your faces this morning. I just want to make a a couple reminders. First, uh, youth ministry is meeting tonight. At what time, Dennis? Five o'clock. Five o'clock, and I heard there's a rumor that there's going to be Chipotle. Is that correct? Chipotle at five o'clock. I'll be there. I don't know if the students will be there. I'll be there. At five o'clock this evening, youth ministry is happening since we had to call it off last week due to some COVID cases. Uh, I also want to just remind us that November 14th, everybody say November 14th. It's going to be a good day to be in church. I'm getting a little bit of echo on my mic. If we can pull that back, I'd greatly appreciate it. But November 14th, we're going to be celebrating, honoring our veterans. There's going to be a free mission barbecue that is offered to our veterans and their families. Uh, veterans, if you haven't signed up yet, please sign up on our uh, Church Center app. Book your spot because after the next couple of weeks, we're going to open it up to the whole church and it's going to go beyond veterans. But we want to reserve those first couple spots for our vets. Amen? I mean, it's about you guys. So please book your spot for a free mission barbecue lunch. It's going to be a great day of honoring our veterans. Uh, As I've mentioned before, Staff Sergeant Benjamin Sapinski is going to be leading us in worship. Phenomenal worship leader of our our United States Army. It's going to be a great day to be in church. Are you ready for the message this morning? So I had somebody uh, a couple days ago who told me, they said, Pastor, um, our church has really been getting hammered with some challenges. I wish you would have warned us about these attacks whenever you do a sermon series titled Spiritual Warfare. I warned you on week one, all right? I sat here on week one and I said, church, you need to be prepared because as a result of this sermon series, Satan's going to come in, he's going to mess with us. 30 COVID cases later, here we are. Okay, and so I also want to give a praise report. Everybody who uh, had COVID and was a couple cases have been in the hospital. They told me yesterday those cases that are in the hospital that they are going to be released. Praise God, they're on the pathway to recovery. And all of the other cases that sprung up, from what I've heard, everybody is doing great. They're recovering well. My wife, being one of those cases, who's here this morning. And I keep saying this, and I mean it with everything in my being. We are going to make the devil pay for what he's done to our church, and we're going to charge him interest. When Satan throws challenges at your life, it's because of two reasons. One, to uproot you from your relationship with Christ. And two, to stop those who don't know Jesus from coming to find Jesus. And when Satan messes with a church with this I mean, on on this high scale of this magnitude, it means that he's full of fear at what God is doing. We're going to shame the devil. And these next couple weeks, we're going to reach those who don't know Jesus, and they're going to find Jesus. 
and we're going to continue to get rooted in the Word of God and in our relationship with Jesus. Amen, church? Amen. This morning, we're continuing our series, The Reality of Spiritual Warfare. This is a series that I felt like the Lord laid on my heart for such a time as this because we see all kinds of warfare happening in our culture. We see all kinds of warfare, figuratively and literally, happening all around the world, but do we understand that there is an unseen realm that is behind the physical realm? That's what we've been talking about over the past couple weeks is the fact that angels, demons, Satan, God, good versus evil, it's a real battle. And it's happening here and now. And this morning we're going to continue this sermon series. One of Satan's primary goals in spiritual warfare is to stir up issues within the body of Christ. Over the past couple of weeks, we've kind of taken a perspective of looking at the world around us and the spiritual warfare out there. Today and next week, we're going to continue to talk about spiritual warfare in here. And so one of the things that, that Satan does is he tries to stir up issues in the church. And I want to be clear this morning, the church is not a building. Come on, somebody. You are the church. We are the church. If, if COVID taught us anything, it taught us that we don't need a building to have church. Amen? Love it. I absolutely love it. That's God growing perseverance in us. And so I want us to understand, we, you, me, you, we are the church. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 says this, very brief verse, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. This morning we're going to be discussing three demonic tactics that Satan uses to get a foothold in the church. Now, let me describe a little bit about a foothold. Have you ever experienced rock climbing? Anybody in here? Rock climbers? Okay, we'll take a trip next week. It's cool. Um, C3 rock climbing tour. I'm all about it. But I remember the first time that I went rock climbing, it was indoor, and it was testing to go outdoors, and I'm sitting there, and, and the way that they have this set up is there's this giant wall that went up, I mean, like 80 or so feet, and you know you have the harness, the, the helmet, the ropes, and all that, and you're entrusting your life to whoever's holding the other end of the rope down below you. You talk about walking by faith, you go rock climbing. And so I remember one of the things that they had is they had this, like, um, this deck that went up every like 10 feet so the instructors could follow you up and guide you through this rock climbing wall. And so I'm about halfway up and there came a point where the rock face came out and then curved in and I'm like, my body doesn't bend that way. But I had to get over this face and I remember the instructor above me said, look for a foothold, look for a foothold. I'm like, I don't know what that means. She's like, a place, you know, for your foot, all you need is just a little crevice, a little something to get your foot. And I could see one by my right hand. It was just above, but I couldn't reach it. And I'm like, huh. And I remember this instructor saying, you're going to do something called a heel hook. I did not stretch for a heel hook. She says, what you're going to do is you're going to swing your body and kick your heel up. I'm like, above my hand? She goes, above your hand, you're going to hook your heel in that little hold, and you're going to use it as leverage to pull yourself up. And I was able, and I couldn't believe it because it was just the tiniest little indent in this rock face. 
And I couldn't believe when I hooked my heel into it, when I got my foot into it, how I was able to use leverage to pull myself up out of this face that came out. It seemed impossible to get over. But this one move allowed me to hook my heel, pull myself up, and that was it. All I needed was a little indentation for my foot. Don't give the devil a foothold. Satan's looking for those little things in your life. Those little things that you compromise on that don't seem like a big deal, but it gives Satan just enough leverage to pull hell up into your life rather than heaven down. And Satan looks for those little compromised states in your life, whether it, it might even be past hurts that you have long forgotten about, but something almost like PTSD triggers trauma in your life and it takes you back to that offense. And all of a sudden you find yourself in this broken, depressed state over something that seems so minuscule. That's Satan using a foothold. Satan is looking for little compromised states within the body of Christ so that he can pull hell up into the body. Don't give Satan a foothold. That's what we're talking about this morning. Three demonic tactics that Satan uses to disrupt the church, to disrupt you, your relationships, your family's spiritual growth, your spiritual growth, your spouse's spiritual growth. Three tactics that Satan uses to get a foothold in the body of Christ. The first is so obvious, and I want to just discuss this for a moment. The first is this, disunity in the body of Christ. Disunity. I want to brag on our church for just a second. C3, we have an incredible, obvious gift of unity right now. How many of you have experienced that in this body? In this body? There is unity in prayer moments. There's unity in seeking to help one another. Over these past few weeks, as COVID cases started to arise, it was like we hit the button that gets the Navy SEALs on the ground. We hit this button and all of a sudden there are meals being dropped off at homes. People are giving different um, nutritional additives We're live streaming this, so I can't get too specific. <laughs> vitamins, we'll call them vitamins. Vitamins are being dropped off at homes, and there's prayer requests that are blowing up my phone, and there's this unity, there's this let's get together and help one another, and people are driving all over Lehigh County, even into Berks County, and they're helping one another, and they're resourcing one another, and people are seeking, I mean, but somebody dropped off, I don't want to point this person out and embarrass them, but, but, but somebody dropped off coffee for my wife in the morning, and I'm hearing about testimonies of groceries being picked up for individuals in our church, and I step back and I go, my goodness, there's you unity. It's an incredible gift. There's unity in worship. There's unity in conduct, unity in uplifting one another. I, I hear it at different Bible studies where somebody across the table gives a compliment and it sets the whole room off. Next thing you know, you have person after person complimenting one another, and there's this chain reaction. There's hardly a Sunday that goes by where I don't hear from a first-time guest say, the people here are incredible, and they seem like family. 
Because there's so much unity that there's such a deep bond here that it seems like we're practically related to one another. I love that there's constant use of plural words such as we and us. Not me, myself, and I, but we and us. I hear ministry leaders, when you refer to a ministry that you oversee, you say our ministry. You don't say my ministry, our. There's unity, and I hear it in so much terminology. There's such a desire for fellowship that after a Sunday morning, I can't get you to leave. I love it. I stand here in church. Did you know that that's a sign of health? Did you know that there are some churches that can only dream of people that, wanna, that like each other so much that they would stay after a service and talk? There are dying churches right now in the United States. And to see some people gathered after service who love one another and like one another so much that they would just talk about anything seems like a far off dream to them right now. And we need to pray for them. But for us, I'm just pointing out what God is doing here. We like each other. I love you too, Jack. But we love one another enough that we honestly just want a fellowship. There's so much unity here at C3 that I am beyond proud about. There's an anointing in unity here. Our church, unity, I want to point this out, unity can't be bought. It's something that's born of the Spirit. Can't be manufactured. It comes from a genuine love for one another, which is the result of a genuine love for Jesus Christ. It can't help. When you love Jesus enough, it can't help but overflow out of your life. It's impossible to contain. And I'm reminded of Acts chapter 4 where it says that the New Testament, the birth of the New Testament had just happened. The outpouring in the Holy Spirit had just happened. People are speaking in tongues. The gifts of the Spirit are going forth. People are getting saved. The needy are having their needs met. And Scripture says this, and this is my prayer, continued prayer for our church. It says this, they had everything in common. They shared resources, they shared knowledge, they shared discipleship, young and old generations coming together and bonding and pushing one another forward. And scripture says, the only way I know how to summarize this is they had everything in common. They were so united. Satan would love nothing more than to get a foothold in C3's unity. Don't give him the opportunity. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, he means that literally. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. That's the key to unity. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, please hear this part of the verse. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope you were called. 
The reality is that we are more comfortable making no effort to resolve church conflict, leaving and leaving the church in shambles, and then calling ourselves peacekeepers. We're more comfortable being passive and not addressing the issue, carrying that offense as a part of our identity, and then we use a spiritual statement such as peacekeeper. Well, I just wanted to keep the peace, so I spoke my mind, hurt some people, and left the church. Praise God. A lot of spiritual fruit coming out of that statement. Being a peacekeeper does not mean pacifist. It means that we handle our conflict like men and women of God, seeking the best for the other person. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit. Make every effort to keep unity. I remember hearing a, a story of a church that was just outside of Woodstock. And this church had been going through so much growth. And unfortunately, uh, this, there was some uh, disunity that, that ended up happening in this church because the church had just done a building renovation. And they just got new carpet in the sanctuaries. Whew, right? You all know what's coming. You've heard me preach on this before. They got brand new carpet, beautiful. And on a Sunday morning, the church was full of hippies. Praise God. And this angered different people in the church because they said, while the pastor was preaching, you could see smoke rings rising up in the sanctuary. And they came to the pastor and they said, Pastor, that's our new carpet. There's ash on the carpet. And they begin to talk. Some people are coming to the sanctuary with bare feet. And they began to talk about these hippies that were coming. And these hippies were coming and getting saved. In sanctification, becoming holy is a process, not a destination. And the church didn't understand this. They, they wanted, sometimes we fall into this mistake, church, so we have to realize that when we point the finger, there's four more fingers pointing back at us. Sanctification is a process. Sometimes when somebody comes to know Jesus, we want them to be holy right now. Doesn't work like that. Sometimes it does, most of the time not. And so the pastor had half the church coming to him saying, praise God, half the church coming to him saying, we need to get rid of these hippies. They're ruining our new church. And so the pastor had a meeting with the church and he said, I will take care of it. This is ridiculous. I am so sorry about the disunity. We will handle this. I personally, even his board was split. He said, I will take care of this. This was a Saturday night. That Sunday morning they showed up and the pastor had gotten out box cutters and cut up all the carpet. With this statement, when we value carpet more than people, we're saying, you can go to hell, I'll keep my carpet. Revival happened at that church, by the way as hippies from Woodstock continue to come and encounter Jesus. Make every effort to maintain unity.
even if it means using a box cutter for the glory of God. <laughs> Disunity happens when we, yeah, thank God we don't have carpet, amen? <laughs> Whew! Disunity happens when we take our eyes off of Jesus and focus on ourselves. How does the devil get a foothold in our lives? When we focus on ourselves more than the mission of God. When we focus on ourselves more than the cross. When we focus on our needs more than we focus on others. That's when we've given the devil a foothold into our lives. And I want to say this. Did you know that the persecuted church, the underground church, doesn't have church splits? They have bigger problems to worry about. They're also bound together because often in the underground church, it's the only church around. How much better would our conflict resolution skills be if C3 Church was the only church in Lehigh Valley? If we didn't have the opportunity to go, well, I'm going to such and such a church. What if we were the only church? How would we handle our disagreements? I bet you that we would have more patience. I bet you that we'd be willing to give more grace. Can I challenge us, C3 Church? Handle conflict resolution as if we were the only church in the world. Because essentially God has called us to be one church. What is the cost of unity? How much do I have to pay, pastor, to uh, accomplish unity? You have to pay for unity with humility. An apology. Apologizing is so wildly unpopular in our culture. Oh, come on, don't act surprised. Every person in the workplace, every person in our culture, every person in government, yes, I said government, they get in front of a podium and they blame the other political party, and that goes both ways. The cost of unity is humility, that I admit my wrongs, that I seek what's best for you in times of disagreement. An admission of wrong, the ability to say the church is bigger than my personal preference. The, the ability to say I'm going to work through, even though I know that I'm in the right, that I know I did everything rightfully, that I, I am still going to work through this conflict because I recognize that what's at stake is eternity. That if I bow out now and I don't allow God to get me rooted and work on my character in the midst of this, that I pull my giftings out of this church and there are others who need those giftings and well, they just forget them, I'm going to go my way. All of that would stop if we had, like scripture just told us, patience and gentleness. We're talking about humility. But often there are Christians that don't seek unity, and they end up hurt and they end up bitter, which leads us to the second demonic tactic, the second demonic foothold that Satan uses to disrupt the church, and that's bitterness. Bitterness is such an ugly thing. James chapter 3, verse 14 through 15 but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Pause. 
we boast about our bitterness like there is no tomorrow. There are entire talk shows built on bitterness. There are podcasts about bitterness. There are social media accounts about bitterness. Right now, bitterness is so popular, it might as well be a fashion trend. This person offended me, and again, it doesn't matter which side of the political aisle that you are on, it goes both ways. Bitterness does not bear spiritual fruit. Come on, somebody. Bitterness is so trendy right now. And we have this scripture that says, hey, 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 don't boast. Stop going around and telling people how I showed them, I told them, I stop. Don't boast with bitterness. Verse 15, such quote-unquote wisdom, love that, that's kind of snarky, does not come down from heaven. Did you hear that? If it's not coming down from heaven, where is it coming from? Does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Well, how do I know if I'm a bitter person, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked. I could see it on your face. Tell us. How do I know if I'm a bitter person? I want to hit the pause button real quick. Self-awareness is often a gift that is a result of a thriving spiritual life. The less time you spend with Jesus, the more unaware you become, and then we fall into boasting about our sin. When you spend time with Jesus, it's like looking in a mirror. That's what James teaches us. It's like a mirror that reflects what we need to work on, and by we, I mean surrendering it over to God. I want us to entertain the possibility this morning that we might be carrying bitterness, not your neighbor, not your spouse, you and I, me. How do I know if I'm a bitter person? You think about the hurt frequently. It's like a movie replaying in your head over and over again, a situation that hurt you, a wrong that happened in your life, somebody who spoke something offensively. Maybe it's even an offense that you've taken up. Somebody didn't show you enough appreciation. Somebody didn't speak enough kind words in your life, and now it replays, they should have, they should have known. Well, friend, they didn't have the spiritual gift of mind reading. <laughs> Tough crowd. I laugh about it because we're all capable of falling into it. I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. So-and-so looked at me. They gave me a bad look, and I know that they were thinking about that one time whenever I didn't pick up their meal at McDonald's, and now they hate me. Maybe they just had a bad morning. Maybe it would shock you how much they don't think about me or you. You guys are warming up. You're getting there. I heard a quote one time. It says this, the sane man thinks about different things. The madman thinks about one thing. 
The sane man is able to move on, talk about other hobbies, talk about other things that are, is happening in their life, but the madman drives themselves crazy thinking about that one bitter offense, and that's a form of boasting. How do I know if I'm a bitter person? You're easily offended, and it's never your fault. You might often find yourselves making statements, well, they, them, rather than me and I. The topic of your discussion is always revolved around being hurt or offended. Maybe even coming to the point of tears or lashing out as you describe an event or an offense that happened in your life. And now just bitter. And lastly, some tell-to-tell signs of if I'm a bitter person or not, you often ask God the question, why, rather than saying your will. We are in no position to demand answers from God. His thoughts are beyond ours. Even if he explained it to us, it still wouldn't make sense. Just saying. And here's the danger. Here's why I'm saying this in love. Bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt your enemy. It will destroy your relationships. It will destroy your family, who you are as a mom or a dad. It will destroy you in the workplace if you Drink the poison of bitterness. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 through 32 says this, get rid of all bitterness. Do you sense the urgency in that statement? Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Paul is warning us, church. He says it escalates. It starts is as bitterness. And next thing you know, you're walking around in rage and you're walking around in anger and you're slandering one another and it just keeps getting worse. And all of a sudden you find yourself being a malice kind of person. Paul is saying it started with bitterness and now you're violent, man. But here's the idea. Forgiveness is freedom. Come on, somebody. All of those who follow Jesus should be amening right now. Forgiveness is the pathway to freedom. It's saying, I'm not going to let this determine the course of my life. I'm going to allow Christ's bloodshed on the cross determine the course of my life. How do we get rid of bitterness? Again, great question that you asked. Confront the hurt. Being a peacemaker does not mean pacifist. Being a peacemaker means that we confront the hurt with a heart of love. Confront the hurt. Ask God to give you a clean heart. He's just so faithful, he'll give it to you. And lastly, let it go. Forgiveness is, and I want to be clear this morning, church, Scripture teaches us this principle. I didn't create this. 
Forgiveness is not denying that the offense ever happened. It's confronting what happened with Jesus' help. I want to say that again. Forgiveness is not denying that the offense ever happened. Forgiveness is confronting the hurt with the help of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's what forgiveness is. It's the ability to confront the hurt with the fruit of the Spirit abounding. Asking God, would you help me take this step? And lastly, even if I try and confront this issue and it doesn't turn out how I wanted it to, God, I did my part. I'm leaving the results into your hands. Because maybe during that confrontation, worship team, you can come. Maybe during that confrontation, God wasn't calling you to be in a position of seeing the end result. He was calling you to plant seeds in that person's life. Again, it's always about them, not me. When we confront issues, it's not so that I can see justice and I can, that's God's job. It's so that I can see spiritual fruit in your life because I love you enough to sit down and tell you that the way that you've been acting, the way that you've been behaving, it hurt me. But I want to see you grow in Christ because I know he has incredible plans for your life. And what's so beautiful is as you focus on the other person's spiritual growth, God grows you. He's so faithful. The third and last demonic tactic that Satan uses to get a foothold in the church and to hurt the church, distraction from our purpose. If Satan can get your attention, he has everything else. Distraction from our purpose. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, meaning the gospel, so that we do not drift away. What is the gospel? It is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Scripture's teaching us we must pay close attention to the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus so that we don't drift away. Again, what Scripture is teaching us is that when we get our eyes off of Jesus, that's when disunity, that's when bitterness, that's when distraction happens. There are so many distractions that we could talk about. I could do it. 12-month series on what distracts us, right? Can anybody else relate to this? Like spiritually, you're like, God, I'll give you everything. Squirrel! <laughs> God, I'll give you everything. Just you, pastor. Okay. <laughs> we could talk about what distracts us in the church as far as the comparison distraction when we compare our gifts that God gave us to others' gifts. And then we compete. And we try and outperform or outdo the other person. And of course we don't see it this way. We look at it and call it other more spiritual things. Comparing yourself to another person is either exalting yourself or putting another down and neither pleases God. Churches now, 
are constantly comparing themselves to others. Often, and I have nothing against mega churches, but often smaller or mid-sized churches are comparing themselves to Stephen Furtick at Elevation. And I am so thankful for Pastor Stephen and what an incredible ministry he is leading. Elevation Church is doing great and I celebrate with them. But can I tell you, God hasn't called C3 to be Elevation. God has called C3 to be C3. I'm thankful for ministries like Bethel. We sing a lot of their worship songs. And I know that some people are like, well, do you support their doctrine? I, that's a topic for another day. We can agree on Jesus. I am so thankful for ministries like Bethel, but God hasn't called us to be Bethel. God's called us to be C3. But what distracts us from our purpose, C3, what distracts us from reaching Lehigh Valley, what distracts us is comparing. Don't compare. Be unique in who God has called you to be. You know that God has called us to be one of a kind. Comparison is when we take our eyes off of Jesus and start focusing on one another. We could talk this morning about other distractions, such as there's the distraction of just flat-out selfishness, where we focus too much on us, and we live our entire lives focused on God blessing me, and me growing in my gifts, and me growing in my calling, and me growing in my biblical knowledge, and me getting myself together, and we're so focused on what God can do for us that we never focus on God doing something through us for others. And all of this is done under a very hidden title called Growing Spiritually. When really, it's the narcissistic gospel, which focuses on God giving me rather than me giving God. Can I tell you that the gospel is all about surrender for others? Come on, somebody, don't get quiet on me now. I know lunch is coming, don't get quiet. I want to challenge you this morning to set something in motion that outlives you. Pour into somebody's life who's younger than you. Set a ministry in place that goes beyond you. Then there's the distraction of just scheduling God out of our, out of our schedules. How many of you are busy? Raise your hands. Don't get shy now. I'm telling you, I will come down there and put the mic in your face. We will do a one-on-one -on -one interview. We're busy with work. We're busy with work performance. We're busy raising our kids. We're busy taking care of the house. We're busy taking care of friendships and relationships and family relationships and family get-togethers. We're busy with hobbies. We're busy with life. We're busy becoming a better spouse, but we're never giving God our attention. Then there's this distraction. It's, that begins to set in where we ask God. We expect to give God our lives and yet we haven't been able to give him our attention. How can I give God my life if I haven't given him a minute? Then there's this distraction and please hear me out. I know I'm young and some 
get the impression that you know, you're probably loving technology and so on and so forth. And at the same time, I'm not here this morning to be anti-technology. I am so thankful for Lee Predmore and the giftings that God has given him. I believe that that's why he got COVID because the devil saw what Lee has been doing with the online ministry at C3 Church and that ticked him off. And we're gonna make him pay plus interest, trust me. I'm so thankful for digital media ministry. It really does go into all the earth. It really does. It gets us into closed countries. I am so thankful for it. But we also need to handle this gift with a cautious heart. Because right now, what's crazy to me is it's not these huge moral downfalls and moral failures that are taking down the church of Jesus Christ. It's not these crazy, like I said, just moral failures that take out entire families and so on and so forth. It's something as subtle as this. For example, in the summer of 2007, Steve Jobs released a phone that would forever change the world as we know it. There's no going back. As a result of this invention, you now have access to unbridled communication, email, text messages, social media. Your credit cards might even be on here. Shopping lists, to-do lists, paying bills, it all gets done on our phone. You know that yesterday my wife and I went to the King of Prussia Mall and just looking around at who's at the mall and I'm sitting there and I'm going, you know, the mall is now, it's not located here anymore, it's online. We don't even have to leave our home, we don't even have to change out of our pajamas to go shopping. Some people, I heard it said by a guy, he said, I'm to the age now where I'm so lazy. If I drop something, I don't pick it up. I just order it on Amazon and wait for it to be at my front door. Your workplace is now attached to you 24-7. We are now more distracted than any other time in history. We are now more distracted than any other time in history. For example, did you know that 83,000 times a year you will check your cell phone? 83,000 times a year on average you will check your phone. As a matter of fact, statistically 12 times just during this service you have either checked or been tempted to check your phone. 12 times during this service. And everybody who's taking notes on their phone is like. (laughs) The average adult will spend five hours a day on social media. 70% of people sleep with their phone next to them. 54% of people check their phone upon waking up. Teens will spend nine hours a day on average checking social media. By the time their lives come to an end, they will have spent 24 years of their lives on the phone. The moment that we become bored with real world problems or real world people in front of us, we use this to escape. We are able to, to sit with somebody and say, you are not interesting right now and tune them out and completely escape the very place that we are physically present. And what do we see as a result of this? Depression, 
Depression statistics are linked to heavy social media use. Anxiety statistics are skyrocketing as a result of heavy social media use. Less productive lifestyles are statistically blowing up. And all of this is linked to heavy cell phone use. We're experiencing narcissism on a whole new level. We try for the best pictures. We seek to have likes on social media. We take selfies to make sure that we look perfect, picture perfect, so that everybody gets the best impression. Can I challenge you this year for your Christmas cards? Take a real picture. Uh-huh, my, wife's, my wife is a photographer and she right now is rebuking me. Peace be with you, honey. Take a real picture where the kids aren't being obedient. Somebody got into a snack box right before the picture and they have crumbs all over them. They look like a kid you pulled out of a trash can. Everybody's getting frustrated, so help me God, nobody will get Christmas presents this year if you don't settle down. Take that picture and put it on your fridge. Glory to God. We've taken narcissism to a whole new level, and we're still figuring out the repercussions of our actions. But we know this, that with the information that we've received over just the short time that we've had this invention, the statistics are not good. The church has become so distracted that we don't know how to give God our time, let alone our life. But there's hope that God can change it. I said, there's hope, church. Can I challenge you this week? Unplug. In the months to come, we're going to be doing different initiatives where I'm going to be challenging you to take a different kind of selfie. A two to three minute video sharing your testimony of how Christ has changed your life. But for now, before we get there, can I challenge you? Unplug this week. A whole week? Take two days. Can you do two hours? Can you do two minutes? Serious question. Start with a small amount, unplug, and give God your attention because unless we give Him our attention, we're certainly not going to give Him our life. All Satan desires is our attention, and with that, He can allow us to forget our purpose. Would you stand with me this morning? My final point with you this morning, church, is this. We won't be distracted if we are captivated by our purpose. We won't be distracted if we are captivated. We won't be distracted from our purpose if we are captivated by our purpose. Make every effort to maintain unity. Amen, church? Don't let this incredible gift that God has blessed C3 with, don't let it slip away. Make every effort to maintain unity. Fight bitterness with forgiveness. Are you distracted? Give God an hour. Give Him an hour a day. 
Well, pastor, for some, that's a big stretch. Give him 10 minutes in your morning. Next week, give him 20 minutes. Week after that, give him 30 minutes until you feel like your devotional time and your time spent with God, you, you can walk away saying, I've met with God and I'm focused on my purpose, not bitterness, not disunity, but I'm focused on my purpose. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at c3lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.